Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. CTFM, this is Eyewitness News from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. With me, Ni Lati Lati. This evening, I'm here with Eno Safo. And coming up in the next 90 minutes, six suspects at the center of the gruesome killing of a soldier at a shaman denied bail by the shaman district court. Also on Eyewitness News, Ghana Health Service begins immunization against three childhood killer diseases. Several months after vaccine shortage in the country, we take you to some of the West Hits communities for updates. Also on Eyewitness News, government fails to honor its obligations as matured bonds of pensioners who opted out of the domestic debt exchange program have not been paid as business closed today. And later on Eyewitness News, he resigned, pushing to become president. We hear the proposal of former Food and Agriculture Minister Dr. Efria Kutu to leverage on Agric to drive the economy should he become president. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on these and other stories on Eyewitness News and in business. Cote d'Ivoire Cocoa Initiative expresses commitment to ensure farmers from both countries get value for their produce. That's in 15 minutes with Michael Obudu for the top stories in the world of business. Eyewitness News is live across the country on Tunson 97.3 FM in Wa and Jarapa 96.1 FM in the Upper West Region. Quality 88.7 FM in Garu in the Upper East Region. In the Northern Region, this is Radio Bimbala 91.9 FM. If you are listening to us in the Volta region, your dial is Revival 99.3 FM in Tajahu and VOV Radio 95.7 FM in Hohoi. In the Ashanti region, welcome to Focus 97.3 FM and Orange 107.9 FM, both in Kumasi. Gruna FM 95.9 in Sunyani in the Bonu region. Ajempa 100.7 FM in Takwa Beach, 105.5 FM in Takrade. And Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi, all in the Western region. The show is also live on Facebook on City 97.3 FM and also on YouTube on CityTube. Eyewitness News is interactive. Tell us what you make of the story. Share your views and thoughts via WhatsApp on 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. My name is Ni Lati Lati here with Enusafu. This evening, our first story has to do with the killing of a soldier at a shaman here in the Greater Accra region. What we do know now is that six persons have been arrested by the police and they were put before the Ashaman District Court earlier today. I want to speak to the counsel of the six accused persons. In fact, he is representing uh, four out of the six suspects allegedly involved in the killing of a military officer in Asaima. Fatal Jofa is the counsel for the four suspects. He joins us here tonight on Eyewitness News. Good evening to you, sir, and thank you for joining us this evening. Good evening. 
evening and good evening to your service. Mm. You represent four out of the six suspects. Are you able to tell us which of the four suspects you represent? Uh, thank you so much. I think, uh, in all six accused persons today, now we don't call them suspects. We only refer to them as suspects when they are not brought to court. So now they are accused persons. So now they are accused persons. Mm. Now they are before court. And so I represent four of them. I don't have the list here, but I have um, Yusuf Mohammed. I think it's from the, the third accused persons. So we have Yusuf Mohammed. We have um, Gafaru. We have... Uh, Rafik or Rakib. And then we have another person. I think there are four in all. I don't have the list with me here. But are these persons the ones who uh, allegedly killed the soldier or those who were involved in the sale of the mobile phones? If you can uh, yes, quickly so clarify that offense, for us. Mm. Their offense simply is to do with the mobile phone issue. Mm. You know, in all steps were brought. The first two, one being um, Samuel Tete, and the second, Abubakari, something. Those two are connected, I am told, with the offense of robbery and the murder of the soldier. Mm. But my clients, who are from A3, the third to the chief accused person, mm. have nothing to do with that. And so even when the police brought them to court, all that they charged them was with Anderson receiving, which means that, in fact, Anderson, uh, it was the fourth accused person who bought the phone from the third accused person, and then sold it to um, the chief accused person. And so when you look at my clients from A3 to A6, their involvement was entirely in relation to the phone. In fact, and I, my understanding is that even the first and second accused persons, when they gave their statements at the police station, they confirmed and admitted having committed the offense. And they have also indicated that they sold these phones to my people, my, my, my clients. And so... The only involvement, as far as my clients are concerned, in relation to this case, is only to do with the issue of the force. And so, if you look at the offense, it was just this honesty receiving, this honesty receiving, this honesty receiving, this honesty receiving, for all four of them. There was nothing like even robbery, nothing like murder, as far as my clients are concerned. So, with this charge of a count of robbery and this honestly receiving contrary, to the Criminal Offences Act 1960, Act 29. Are you able to tell us uh, what uh, explanations did your client give, which is at variance with what the police or the prosecution has also given, giving rise yes. to this count for of instance, dishonesty? Instance, okay, I speak to you in specific reference. Okay, for all my clients, the first um, explanation they gave was that they never knew the phone was a stolen phone. In fact, they never knew the phone was a product or a proceed from robbery. And so, and you know, the offense of this honesty receiving comes with the mindset, the menswear of knowing that this is a stolen item and you have gone to buy it. That's when the offense applies. But if you just buy an item from somebody who comes to you saying that he needs quick cash, and so he has this that he's selling, and you see that, oh, the price is good and you buy it, and you do not have the mindset that this is all, you do not know that this is a stolen item, <laughs> the offense of dishonesty cannot be applicable here. And so all my clients are saying that at the point, especially the first person who bought it from, <coughs> the first person who bought it from the, the, the people who allegedly did the robbing, he said he didn't know it was, it was, it was, it was a 
product or a product for government. He was there and the two guys came to him that they have this to sell. But it was even about three or so. And then he, he bargained with them, agreed on the price, sold it. And then he turned around and then also sold it to another person who is also part of this case. And then he only made a profit of 100 Ghana cities from the sales to the other person. And when you look at A6, who is um, Yusuf Mohammed, Yusuf Mohammed's explanation even beats one's imagination why the police will go ahead and add him to the case. Because Yusuf's explanation is that he was there. He was in his house sleeping when they came to pick him up. And then the explanation the police gave was that the person who bought it from the first one who also bought it from the, um, the, the, the robber, he was, he was interrogated at the police station and he gave the name as Muhammad, the person he sold or he bought the phone from as Muhammad. And so the police came to with the name Muhammad and then with the assistance of the, I think he gave a description of Muhammad and they said that he looks fat and and so they came with the assistance of the Ashama district police. And then they went in for my client, who is the the chief accused, the chief accused person, who is also who is Yusuf Mohammed. When they get to me, he said, ah, I have never bought a phone from anybody. I have not sold anybody. I know nothing about what you are talking about. And so they took him to the CID headquarters. And then when he was shown to the person who named him, the person said, No, this is not the Mohammed I'm talking about. But the police kept him and said, What his name has come up, he has to necessarily be part of mm. And so you can imagine the kind of evidence they will have against this person. Because the one who gave you the information, even admit, and they are all my clients. And he has told you that he, this was not the Muhammad he was referring to. You mistakenly went for a different Muhammad. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. And all of them are saying that they know nothing about this Muhammad. They have never met these people except the first person who bought the phone from them, who only met them at the time they came to sell the phone to him. So clearly these are innocent people, mm. but you know how long they have... We have to go through the process. Exactly so. So now that they have denied any wrongdoing, and in fact, they have also pleaded not guilty to the charges leveled against them, what kind of defense are you going to push as a counsel? For now, we are not even talking about defense because we haven't gotten there yet. My major priority is to get them out, to get bail for them. And we make a strong case for bail, but the prosecution um, objected to our application, given certain grounds that they are still conducting further investigations. And the court has said that it has to give room to prosecution to be able to complete their investigations. And so the court has given them two weeks to remand. What my major priority now is, is to get them out as soon as possible so that we can put together a strong defense of our case. And we have a very solid case. And the, the, the two people who are allegedly involved in the robbery and who have been charged with robbery uh, have no idea. In fact, they do not know any, they do not know the third, no, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. They only know the third. And for him to, all they say is that they sold the phone to him. He was not with them when they did the robbery. And he didn't even know that this was a product of robbery or a proceed from robbery. And so we have a strong defense, but the prosecution rather have a tall order in, in, in terms of proving their case in court at the end of the day. All right, you are grateful. That's Fatal Jofa. He is a counsel for four of the accused persons standing trial in that gruesome killing of a soldier in Ashaiman.
uh, somewhere last week. Inadvertently, I said that they appeared before the Asharman District Court, but it's the Asharman Circuit Court, rather. They appeared there today, and the case has been adjourned to March 27, 2023. So you heard the lawyer say that he is going to push for a bill and when the next adjournment date is due. But let's stay a while longer on this subject matter because earlier today, the Ghana Police Service gave a blow-by-blow account on circumstances that led to the murder or the killing of the soldier Imuru Sharif uh, of the Ghana Armed Forces. I want to pick the thoughts of a security analyst and bring in Emmanuel Kutin, who joins us on the line. Good evening to you, sir, and thank you for joining us. I'm sure you've seen the statement from the Ghana Police Service. What, what really is your initial uh, reaction to that statement released by the police service? Well, thank you for having me, and good evening to your cherished listeners. I want to take this opportunity to congratulate the Ghana Police Service for how they exhibited professionalism at its highest order. And in fact, my initial statement is that the statement by the police had made nonsense of the statement from the Ghana Armed Forces. And the cry for a proof into this matter by Parliament, which will be telecast live to the good people of this country, is growing louder day after day. So for you, the statement from the Ghana Police Service completely at variance with what uh, the Ghana Armed Forces uh, issued when this particular issue broke out. What specific reasons are you assigning to your, your, your thoughts? In the first place, my brother, the Ghana Police Service are in charge of your products in this matter. And if you situate and contextualize what happened in Ashama, it was purely a criminal act, an armed robbery gone wrong. So if the military had exercised a bit of restraint, the terrorism attack for innocent citizens in Ashama wouldn't have happened to begin with. And that was the more reason the police refused to collaborate with them in the suit. If you listen to the police statement, and until some of us were aware, as at the time the military was brutalizing people in Ashama, the police were far advanced in their investigation because the a very critical evidence that unraveled all the people behind the uh, the suspected murder of the soldier was the phone of the soldier that was restricted. And it was now left with the security agencies to follow the lead one after the other to get the people that this phone went through their hands in the entire police and arrested. And that's exactly what the police did. Because if you look at what the military did, all the people they arrested, none of them, for Christ's sake, had been handed over to the police by any form of prostitution. And a lot of them were even detained beyond the 48-hour limit. So some sort of human rights of these people were violated. And if you read the statements of the police, they went through 
all this test required of them in the homicide investigation. To begin with, the crime scene was condoned off. They did their forensic uh, 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 gathering of evidence, and it was during that they got the phone and other uh, uh, items like the murder weapon. And they went as far as notifying this, uh, the military when they discovered articles of the alleged victim to be a soldier man, which is standard practice. After their postmortem was conducted, and indeed the postmortem confirmed the cause of death, as indicated by the police in their statement, because a murder weapon was found at the scene. So, what was really the need for the madness the military unleashed on the innocent people of Ashaba? Uh, it's good you've mentioned that point, uh, especially which explains point six of the police statement. So your your point exactly is about the timelines as and when the military issued their statement, the police were already on the grounds halfway through the investigations and point That's six. Right. If I read to you, judging from the content of the backpack, the police suspected the victim could be a soldier and in line with the police standard operating procedure for handling institution-based victims, the military was accordingly notified of the incident and some military personnel came to identify the deceased uh, to police as Imoro Sheriff, a soldier, which means that the military was aware that the police had already begun investigations into the matter exactly. but, uh, so in your view why would you think the military will rush to issue a statement and take over investigations uh, in that particular issue is it a case of culpability over the uh, human rights abuses suffered by these innocent residents in assignment no the, the the constitution is very clear the military has no business in the internal security arrangements of it's primarily the role of the police. That's why when they unleash their madness on the Ashamite residents, the police refused to join. And we must commend the IGP, Dr. Dampari, for standing tall. And uh, indeed, he's reclaiming some of the lost image of the police service. I think he now has to put his, or invest his mind on the MCCD. I think they are the most corporate when it comes to the uh, the name calling of the police. They stand on the road instead of doing the right things. They are sought one city, two city, five cities for uh, drivers and motorists alike. And I think that the investigation wing of the Ghana Police Service has scored all the high marks. And it's, it's not only in this particular case. If you invest your mind to various investigative cases that have passed over the period, especially under Dr. Dampari, they have really exhibited a great sense of professionalism. And I think the NCTD needs to cleanse its image. More often than not, personally, I encounter that you drive to a bus stop and to a police stop and the police will ask you uh, what you have for your voice. It's so sickening. They have to stop that kind of behavior because the times that we are living in, we are not living in normal times. And at any point in time, we need to call on them. And you see, the military 
sometimes behave the way they behave because they feel that the public have lost uh, some kind of trust within the police service. But that is not the case. I think that in a proper functioning democracy and in a civilized society, what we need to be doing when it comes to criminal jurisprudence is allowing due process to take its own course. Nobody is above the laws of this country, not even the commander-in-chief of the Ghana Armed Forces. We have seen in other jurisdictions where presidents have been found capable of involvement in criminal activities and they have been stripped off the presidency and even jailed. So that is to say that we have embraced democracy as our own uh, uh, process of self-determination in terms of governance. And we practice it over 30 years now. If nothing at all, we need to generously protect it and make sure we set the standards high. And I think it is time. I think the military really needs help. They are finally just to rediscover their role in a democratic dispensation. And I was happy the Minister of Defense alluded to the fact, unfortunately, that we should respect the uniform. Respect is end. You can command things. And if someone is disrespecting the uniform, it's the politician. And it's not only under this government. How on earth can you see military officer in a civilized society carrying the bag of a politician, eh? doing internal security checks. Sometimes in the night when you go around, you see them. Or they are escorting bullying vans. You see them as funerals and parties as escorts. It's not done anywhere. It is the case that we have over-recruited personnel for the Ghana Armed Forces and they don't have anything to do and we'll deploy them for some of these things. Then it's high time we waste tax we stop wasting taxpayers' money by recruiting more military men and women. Another thing we need to address our mind to you see that the the defense minister alluded to the fact of the number of garrisons they are creating across the country. We cannot militarize our country. We need democracy for Christ's sake. It's true. Ghana is facing the culture of terrorism. But terrorism is not fought by the banner of the gun. Even the almighty America with its technology and weapons have not been successful in combating terrorism by the banner of the gun. If you look at what is happening around the Sahel, especially in Mali and uh, and um, if you look at uh, Mali, Niger, now it's getting to Burkina Faso. Where we fail was to use diplomacy. Terrorism is intelligent-led. That is why we need to we need not take the citizens of this country for granted and be accountable to them. So, as a matter of fact, what happened has become one too many. And if we don't begin to set examples, it will continue to happen. I thought we would have learned lessons from what happened at draft, why in other places. But it seems these things keep repeating itself. That's why the call on Parliament 
to, uh, uh, to stand out and be counted as a representative of the people is growing louder. A commission of inquiry should be set up, distant telecast live, so that we will know who ordered what and who did what. Then sanctions will be applied so that many people who will conceive things of this nature will not even think about it again. And secondly, the military, the, uh, when I talk about the military, the commercialization of our military and the politicization of our uh, military by itself is a security threat to national security. You know, more often than not, politicians look at regime, uh, regime security to national security. And you know, um, if you create a monster, thinking that the monster is serving your purpose now, tomorrow the monster becomes an albatross on your own neck. I don't know if you understand where I'm trying to go. Because it mm. casts its own shadows. We've tasted military power before, and never again shall we uh, rule mm. by the will of this country by tasting any form of military power in this country. That's why the politicians have to be careful mm. how they deploy military in this country. Mm. So I'm calling on Parliament as a, uh, as, uh, a matter of agency to review its policy, especially the Defense and Interior Committee in granting airlines for the establishment of more garrisons across the country. It's not going to help our democratic dispensation, given the path the soldiers have demonstrated in the past and continue to do. They must realize that they are not lost onto they are uh, 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 they are not lost onto themselves. They are bounded by the constitution of this country, and that is why the commander in chief of the Ghana Armed Forces is a civilian, and that's the president of the republic. And where does he draw his power from? The good people of this country. That's why we say power resides in the people and not in any other person, the people. That must be emphasized. So I'm calling on the media to help the African Center for Security and Counterterrorism on this call so that we can have this commission of inquiry happen once and for all. And the senior officers that authorize this state-sponsored terrorism in Ashama are there with once and for all, and others will not have their appetite to do same in the future. Very well, that's Emmanuel Kutin. He is a security analyst uh, sharing his thoughts with us as on the explanation is provided by the Ghana Police Service over the murder of a soldier, Imoru Sharif, at Asham. And he is actually expressing fears that the, uh, the Ghana Armed Forces should be circumspect in their dealings because he fears of uh, a possible military, uh, you know, issues if things are not handled properly making reference to how far Ghana has become has come from 1992 since it came into democratic rule from the military regime and also calling for heads to roll over this same particular issue and also calling on the defense and interior committee of parliament to expedite processes to ensure that there is finality to this particular issue so that was Emmanuel Kutin a security analyst in has some more stories.
The family of a middle-aged man who was allegedly shot to death by a police anti-robbery team in Wa has given the police a 24-hour ultimatum to render an unqualified apology for tagging the deceased as an armed robber. The family maintains that contrary to the narration by the police, the victim, Abu Bakari Sahid, was a law-abiding citizen who never engaged in any criminality as alleged by the police. At a press conference in Wa today, the family said the killing was a clear act of unprofessionalism, adding that they will resort to the law court to seek justice for the victim should the police fail to apologize. Mohammed Tamin spoke on behalf of the family. The family hereby demand and petition that the police should render an unqualified apology to the family of the disease for this gruesome murder. Two. The police should also reach out to the family and take steps to find an amicable solution to the matter. Three, his motorbike and mobile phone, which are still in custody of the police, and which motorbike we do see the police anti-robbery unit members riding around town, should immediately be released to the family. Four, the interior minister, the IGP, the regional minister, the MCE for war, should constitute an independent committee to probe into the matter and any police officer found culpable should be duly sanctioned. Mohammed Tamin is a family member of a middle-aged man shot to death by a police anti-robbery team in Wa in the Upper West Region. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM coming to you live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka here in Accra. My name is Ni Lati Lati here with Enu Safu. We are taking a breather. When we come back, we have more stories for you. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Indeed, this is Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Welcome back. Let's bring you more stories. And the government has failed. Uh, to honor matured coupons uh, following uh, the agreement it reached with some uh, domestic with some domestic investors and so these investors who actually did not tender their bills for new ones under the government's domestic debt exchange program are yet to receive uh, their matured coupons as promised by the government at least by the close of day today that's what we are picking up government has failed to honor the bonds which have matured since February 6, uh, 2023, with explanation that it needed some time to sort out administrative issues resulting from the settlement of uh, the new bonds under the domestic debt exchange program. So that is what we are learning here on Eyewitness News. Uh, and it follows consultations with the bondholder groups, um, the finance minister, I, who promised to begin payment of the coupons from today uh, but that did not happen uh, thankfully we have been joined on the line by the convener for the pensioner bondholders dr edu anani angel joins us on the line with uh, more doc good evening to you and thank you for joining us on eyewitness news 
Thank you, too. Well, you're expecting to be paid today. That did not happen. Have you received any explanations from the appropriate headquarters yet? No, we haven't heard from the ministry. Uh, we were just waiting until 5. We thought by 5, we would, uh, some payments would be made. But nobody has said he has received a payment. And the government also, the finance minister, hasn't said anything. It must be a difficult moment for you since you were expecting this particular yes, payment. But, mm. because these things are already overdue. But, Doc, if I take you back to statements uh, made by the finance minister and even the president, for example, in your own explanation following the development, uh, the government intended to honor the obligations uh, when they mature. And in fact, the government, in the president's own voice, if I can make reference to when he appeared in parliament to deliver the State of the Nations address, he said, government is actually committed to making the payment based on its fiscal plans. Uh, could it be that government is still struggling, reason for your inability uh, to receive your, your, your payments? Well, one would not know what is happening. And government also hasn't come out to say it is unable to pay. And so for us, we believe that government promised that they will pay uh, these outstanding. It's not now that the, the, the bonds have matured. The first one matured on the 6th of uh, February, which is past one month now. The second one also at middle of February. And uh, there is another, even at the time that we were having discussion with the minister, uh, that uh, resulted in the issue of that statement that the, the bonds, the payment will resume by the 13th of, uh, of this month. Uh, after that, one more bond has matured. And so these are, and that's the last one that matured was on the uh, 6th of uh, March. So it now three bonds line up, all matured. And if government says it's going to start paying, uh, the, 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 the test of the statement was that government was going to start to resume the payment by 13th, which meant that if government could even start before the 13th, but uh, we didn't want to even to, uh, to worry ourselves about that. Let's say, well, by 13th, so let's say 13th is the date that uh, it cannot be pushed further than the 13th. And here we are, today's 13th. And no word has been received. And that is the, the worrying thing that I, I, I have been complaining about in the market. The financial market depends on information. And if the issuer is unable to pay, the issuer should come out and let the market know that as a result of ABCD, we are unable to pay. The issuer should not sit down. This is the second time the issuer has sat down and wants people to come to the, the, the issuer to demand answers. That is not how we should run our financial market. Well, but Doc, we know that you have demonstrated, in fact, protested in the past as far as this issue is concerned, and it appears that there is no end in sight for you. Is it that you have really been on a wild goose chase because of these issues? Your payments have not been paid, made? No, you see, as for the payment, definitely the issuer must pay. The issuer has an obligation to pay. And the whole state has promised through the Ministry of Finance. And as you said, 
the president has also uh, assured us that payments will be done. And if for any reason the issuer is unable to pay, the right thing for the issuer to do is to make an announcement. Tell the market, there you come the market, you come investors. Then investors know what is happening. But if you are supposed to pay by today and you haven't paid and there is no way, this market drive on information. Let people know what is happening rather than keeping uh, whatever is the situation is not telling anybody. That is all right for our financial market. So uh, now that you have not received your matured coupons as promised by government, what options are left for you? What is going to be your next line of action? What are we going to see from your end in terms of approach to ensure that you receive what is due? Well, you see, now the uh, individual bondholders, the pensioners forum is there. Uh, we'll be able to bring the other two, which is the uh, individual bondholders, those who are not pensioners. As of now, we are all individual bondholders whose bonds must be uh, serviced by the, the government. The coalition made up of these three uh, visited the ministry's office the other time, more than two weeks ago, where we were promised that it would be on the 13th, and uh, a statement was issued to that effect. This evening, since we haven't received any payment, we are going to meet and take a decision as to what to do tomorrow. And that decision is it going to be another protest at the finance ministry? Well, when when we get when we meet, we will decide the the, uh, the most appropriate uh, response uh, that we must uh, give to this uh, silence, uh, not receiving any information from government about the payment. We we will take the appropriate uh, decision that will be implemented if it has to be implemented tomorrow. Uh, we'll see what to do tomorrow. But are you willing to re-engage a government and the finance ministry again? Well, it is not. It, it, that shouldn't be how this market is run. That shouldn't be how this market is run. I have been a regulator of this market, and if uh, uh, this is how operators would operate in this market, we wouldn't have gone anywhere. You don't expect your creditors to be coming up and down every day to ask you for their funds. You, the issuer, if you have any problem, you must let your, your investors uh, understand. Send a message to them. But it should not be the, 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 your, your the, the shareholder, bondholder's responsibility every now and then coming to the issuer to find out why haven't you paid it. We don't run financial markets like that. Yeah, I'm asking because government is the one supposed to pay and then it is it appears that is not happening. That's why I'm asking if you are willing to engage them again because... Well, uh, well, no. if, 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 if we have to uh, uh, go there again, but yeah. I'm saying that that should not be the norm. Yeah. You should not be expecting your bondholders to be every situation. now and then coming yeah. to you and finding out. And I have, I have I myself have said this to the authorities, the ministry, that key thing that you have to do is to let information flow. The last time I have complained that it wasn't right, it wasn't sound, if you could not pay. It was not right for you to keep it to yourself without informing investors until investors come to your, you and find out. And I thought this was not going to happen again. That if you are unable to pay for any reason, you must come out and, and, and let investors 
be aware that this is what is happening. Let them take a decision. But to keep them in darkness, not knowing what is happening, is, is bad for the market. Mm. Well, I wish you well. Let's see what government does in the coming days. But that's convener for the pensioner bondholders, Dr. Edu Anani Entry, speaking there. The Ghana Traditional Council is charging aspirants hoping to lead their party and the country in the upcoming general elections to promote a national development agenda. The council also lamented the continuous lawlessness and neglect of the development of the Ghana state. Speaking during a visit by a new patriotic party flag bearer aspirant, Alan Kojo Chermating, the Gamanche King Takite Kosru II says there should be a deliberate attempt to build the Ga state to effectively contribute towards the development of the country. If you win your bid, which we pray you do, don't forget the toil of these great leaders whose will, thought and process made this party what it is today. Dadangbe is sad. Sad because of a lot of things that are being done against us. That is why I'm speaking in English today. But I want you to hear, we are sad. We are sad about the way we have been treated in the capital. People just get up, go to a place like Abogloshi, and start building. Why? Without any recourse to the traditional authority. <laughs> What we want to tell you today is that I believe that in your manifesto, promote a national development agenda for the whole of the country so that we will see that would not be shortchanged. And we pray that if your bid is successful, you think about our lands too. A release of it will make them be very, very happy and in support of your claim. You heard King Taki take us through the second, the Gant Manche. Now, meanwhile, the new patriotic party flag bearer aspirant Alan Kujichromating has pledged his unwavering support in developing the Gant state should he get the nod to lead the party and the country. I think that the role that the Gant community has played in bringing us to power must be appreciated by our own party. And so, if it is God's will that I lead this party and I become president, I'll make sure that guys feature very prominently in the government that I will run. And I do so also for very strategic reasons. Because Greater Accra is the capital of our country. And it is the entry point into our country. And First impressions are important. And so it is in our own interest as a government to lift up the gas state. Secondly, the two most important challenges that confront us as a nation currently are maintaining a strong, resilient economy. And then secondly, creating job opportunities. Alan John Kujuchermatin is a presidential candidate hopeful of the new patriotic party. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. 97.3 CTFM. This is still Eyewitness News live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka here in Accra. My name is Ni Late Late here tonight with Enu Safo. Right about now, I want to take you to parts of the country because today the Ghana Health Service began immunization against three childhood killer diseases after vaccines landed in the country over the weekend after several months that several parts of the country were hit with vaccine shortage today that exercise began and we want to begin from here in accra you know tell us more health directorates and parts of the country today took delivery of childhood vaccines immunization for children has resumed at various health facilities after weeks of interruption due to the shortage of vaccines nationwide the ghana health service received the first consignment of the vaccines over the weekend distribution is ongoing to the various districts a health officer with the ayawasu municipal health directorate tells city news they are hopeful the vaccines being taken will be adequate for every child I'm here to pick my vaccine, and, and as I've heard, they've already made all the distribution of, of uh, those vac- uh, vaccines that are run in shortage. And now we've, we, 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 uh, we've all had our distribution list and we have written my uh, requisition. Uh, as you can see, my above has what? I've approved all the requisitions that I've written. Uh, that, that means all the vaccines that have requests are available oh. yeah so the measles rubella the bcg and the router that uh, we uh, uh, we are not having has now arrived okay yeah, so, so i'm seeing required for next month yeah. uh, so this is measles rubella that's 100 is that supposed to be 100 boxes that is supposed to be 100 vials and each okay. vials uh, which means the, uh, the 100 uh, vaccine that they have given me can do a thousand yeah thousand children at okay. uh, at my district, and every month is uh, the uh, the uh, what I've, the, uh, the thousand that has given to me will be able to what, cover the thousand case. Okay. Yeah, for now that is the amount uh, the, uh, the 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 distribution that they've made yeah. for the district right now. Now the delivery that I've taken yeah. before they've given me thousand doses okay. to be given to my children. Okay. Yeah, for dinner, that is for now. Joseph. Joseph Jura is a health officer from the Ayawasu Municipal Health Directorate in Accra. Well, from Accra, let's jet off to the northern regional capital of Tamale because that region was one of the worst affected. Several districts there did not have the vaccines. Diana Ingon is our northern regional correspondent. She joins us on the line. Well, Diana, confirm for us if the region actually received the vaccines. If it did, has distribution began? And vaccination as well. So me, I can confirm that the region has received its um, vaccine and then distribution to the various districts began this morning and the, as of 4 p.m. this evening, um, eight districts had already picked up um, their consignment and they include Gushegu, Kumbungu, Sanaigu, um, Savlugu, Tamali Metro, Sasali Sanguli, 
um, Zabzugu and the Tolong district. And so um, we, we understand that by tomorrow, vaccination will begin in some of these um, districts at the various health facilities. And I can also confirm that from the uh, regional health directorate, with those vaccines that are coming, uh, the region currently has all the vaccines under the expanded immunization program. But they, however, say that this will last just for a short period. All right, so that's Diana Nguan, our Northern Regional Correspondent. Uh, so from the Northern Region, uh, we'll be taking a, a dash to the Ashanti Region, but as Diana indicated, the Northern Region has taken delivery of the vaccines. The vaccines have been distributed to eight districts. She says some of these districts were actually affected by the shortage, and he, she confirms to us that vaccination will actually begin from tomorrow so that is the latest from the northern region where the distribution of childhood vaccines have actually begun uh, to some of the districts eight of the 16 districts there have already picked up their stocks and according to the regional directorate all districts in the region will receive their vaccines by tomorrow to resume the routine immunization. However, officials say the current stock can only last for a few weeks, hence the need for government to fast-track the arrival of vaccines to avert shortages. So as you may be aware, over the weekend, uh, the government of Ghana, through the Ministry of Health and the Ghana Health Service, actually took delivery of some vaccines uh, for three childhood killer diseases uh, in the country following weeks of, you know, shortages that were recorded in parts of the country. I want to now bring in uh, Samuel Okujetua Blackwa, Member of Parliament for Northern. He has made a post over uh, the delivery of the vaccines here in Ghana. In fact, uh, he has made a claim that uh, it's so embarrassing because the government has failed to admit that it reached out to Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire for urgent bailout on Ghana's avoidable and indefensible shortage of childhood vaccines. Let's speak to him and get some more from him. Uh, good evening to you, Honorable, and thank you for joining us. Hi, good evening, Nee. Mm, I, I trust you are well. I'm good. How about you? Mm, I'm also well. Well, Honorable, the, 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 the minds of people actually is fast going as far as this issue is concerned because they say that we needed the vaccines. The government of Ghana has taken some delivery uh, over the weekend. But you insist that government should acknowledge that, in fact, it begged Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire for the vaccines. Really, at this point... Hello, Honorable. Yeah, hello, Ni. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, hope you I, got my I, question. I, I lost you. I didn't get the, the okay. tail end of your question. So I'm, I'm asking, if government has gone to Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire to beg for vaccines, uh, really, at the time we are having this uh, particular issue, what really is your point then? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. There are a number of issues that you need to focus attention on. First of all, during the message on the State of the Nation address delivered by President Akufuado last week, as usual, and which has become very 
typical of our president, refusing to take responsibility and passing the back. We all heard the president say that vaccine shortage for children is now a global phenomenon. That assertion by President Akufuado is totally false. The latest developments, as we have revealed, that the consignment of childhood vaccines we received yesterday came from Nigeria after our president and our government has made an urgent appeal to the Nigerian authorities. It's clear confirmation that there is no global vaccine shortage and that our government must stop passing the back, must stop blaming COVID for everything, must stop blaming the Russia-Ukraine war for everything and take responsibility, stop being inept, stop being incompetent and lead, offer the transformational leadership which they promised the Ghanaian people. And that is why we assert that the government is so embarrassed, they are unable to admit publicly that they beg for these vaccines. Mm. If you listen to a lot of government computers the whole of yesterday and this morning, they start to create the impression that this was part of the, uh, the consignment they have paid for, that they ordered. That is not true. Look, in governance, you have to be transparent, you have to be truthful, you have to be accountable to the people. Mm. So the point we are emphasizing is that there is no global vaccine shortage. Next door, we could beg Nigeria for these vaccines. We have also begged the Ivorians, and in the next few days, the Ivorians have pledged that they would also be supporting us. It tells you that countries that had proactive leadership, whose health ministers were up and doing, and that is why we have insisted that this health minister must go. After the Sputnik V scandal, when he was indicted by parliament, awaiting the vote of censure, he has absolutely no business remaining in that office. So you have to put our concerns in proper context. One, we are disproving the claim by the president and the health minister that there is a global childhood vaccine shortage. There is no such thing. And two, we are saying that the government's own conduct in this matter contradicts the claim it made. If there was global vaccine shortage, how come Nigeria has access to offer you? Mm-hmm. Number three, we are also insisting that we are where we are because of inept, incompetent, clueless leadership. Look, I can confirm to you. But, but, but honorable, honorable, allow me, allow me to, 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 to make this point. As far back as July last year, the WHO warned the Ghanaian government that we were running out of stock, that there will be stock out if we do not place orders and if we do not pay for these vaccines. It is lack of proactive leadership that has brought us where we are. And you see, if we don't do the analysis very well, 
and we don't carry out the necessary reviews and assessment and to find out the root cause of what brought us where we are, which should never have happened, where, as we speak, children have missed their vaccination. Remember that these, these, these vaccination periods have specific timelines. You miss it and you carry grave consequences for the rest of our lives. We should never have put our children through this with the right leadership. So it's about carrying out the necessary post-mortem, making sure that as a country we learn lessons and we do not allow inept leadership to get away with all of those you know, uh, uh, baseless excuses and deliberate distortions about so-called global vaccine shortage, which does not exist. Hmm. Well, the question on the minds of many critics who are actually uh, struggling to comprehend your point is, does it really matter where the government got these vaccines for, for which reason you are asking their government to acknowledge publicly? Rather, you accuse the government of ineptitude. In a normal market scenario, if a trader doesn't have a commodity, what's wrong? If he or she goes to the other trader to get some of the commodity and give. So shouldn't we rather be hailing the government for the swift response, reaching out to Nigeria and our neighbors in Cote d'Ivoire to get the vaccines for us to get out of this health crisis? So first of all, anybody who is struggling to understand it is not a patriot, is not nationalistic, is probably putting partisan interest above the interest of our country and above the interest of our children. Number two, we should never have been here in the first place. That is a point that has to be emphasized. We should never have been here. But we have made as progress. We, as we speak, as we speak, we have we have caused irreparable damage to the future of a lot of children. There is a measles outbreak in the northern parts of Ghana which could have been avoided. And more fundamentally, the point must be made that if Nigeria has access to spare, if Cote d'Ivoire has access to spare, how did Ghana get where we are? That is the fundamental point. That should not be missed. Why are we where we are? We should not become mediocre. And we should not just accept anything because our favorite politicians are just throwing excuses at us, have no respect for us, and are just concocting and want us to swallow hook, line, and sinker the excuses of their incompetence and their ineptitude. If Nigeria has access to spare, look at the population of Nigeria. How come we are where we are? And we were being lied to that this is a global shortage. How come Nigeria has access to spare? And that is why they are unable to tell us exactly where these vaccines came from. All Look, right. We must not accept this ineptitude and this cruelty because they always know that they will, oh, I mean, uh, let's make excuses. Oh, we have, we, we've, we've done the best. We have found some vaccines. Uh, from from Nigeria. I mean, should we have been here in the first place? That is the fundamental question that we should ask. All right. Uh, let's see if government will be providing us with some explanations and answers uh, in the coming days. But thank you. That's Samuel Okojetua Black, a member of parliament for Northong in the Volta region. Let me speak to uh, Dr. Hilda 
Mantibia Boy, President of the Pediatric Society of Ghana. Good evening to you, madam, and thank you for joining us. Well, following the outbreak and then the shortage of the vaccines, your society actually raised fears that uh, the gains made in the elimination of some of these diseases will be eroded. Today, uh, the government has brought in some vaccines. Uh, distribution has begun. Vaccination has also begun in some parts of the country. Uh, should we be patting ourselves on the shoulder? Well, we as a society are excited or happy that finally we have the vaccines in because as you are all aware, there have been shortages for some weeks, some months in certain areas of the country. So it's great news that the vaccines are available now. We should not have been here talking about having had vaccine shortages, but it's commendable that we have them in now. But have you been provided with uh, the quantity of vaccines that we have received, although it's the first consignment? And if you have, is it adequate uh, for us uh, as a country, especially because the health management body, that's the Ghana Health Service, says that what we have now will be lasting us for some six weeks? We currently don't have any particular numbers about the vaccines that have come in but we we are expecting that more will come in and some of our facilities have assured us that they have begun picking up their stock and so the vaccinations will be restarted from tomorrow morning so what should be the outbreak uh, the approach rather in terms of the rollout of this whole immunization exercise so we have the expanded program on immunization in Ghana and they usually support with the Ghana Health Service to ensure that the distribution is done to all the facilities across the countries through the various regions. And so we are confident that they know their job and will do it once the vaccines are in. We as a society have members across the country and will keep monitoring the situation. So we've asked our members to update us on whether they are getting the vaccines and their various locations so that we can troubleshoot and alert if anything more needs to be done. Mm, so the fears of mothers should be allayed at this point in time? Yes, yes, yes. But we are not going to let down our guard. We are going to continue to monitor and we encourage the government to do everything within its power to ensure that we have more than enough supply to cover the missed doses that our children have had, as well as have enough for or more than enough for children that are going to be born in the coming days, weeks, months, uh, through the years. Mm, we are grateful. That's President of the Patriotic Pediatric Society of Ghana, beg your pardon, Dr. Hilda Mantibia Boy. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Michael Obodu is standing by with the latest in business. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed.
Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obodu. Let's settle for the details now. The Côte d'Ivoire-Ghana Cocoa Initiative says it remains committed to ensuring that the challenge of volatile pricing, which negatively affects cocoa farmers in both countries, is addressed. Farmers in Ghana, for instance, have consistently lamented the low pricing of their cocoa beans, as about 90% of them are reported to be poor. Speaking to the media on the sidelines of a workshop organized by the National Fair Trade Platforms, Technical Manager of Côte d'Ivoire-Ghana Cocoa Initiative, Taria Ejako-Kwating, stressed the need for collaborative efforts among stakeholders to ensure farmers are paid properly for their output. So at the Côte d'Ivoire-Ghana Cocoa Initiative, uh, we have been focused on working, um, representing our two countries to engage in a collaborative discussion with the various actors in the sector. Um, as you know, volatile pricing has been a problem for the cocoa sector, um, which is not allowing the farmers to get the true benefits that they should be getting. Um, we have engaged over the past few months um, actively with um, uh, the partners in the industry uh, to ensure that we, we kickstart conversations on um, the actions that we all need to take to help our farmers get better pricing. Um, our two countries put in place the LID price, the living income differential price mechanism a few years ago, um, and we are working together to ensure that the price mechanism is consolidated. Um, we are looking at various actions that need to be taken and the accountability that needs to be put in place to ensure that uh, we are able to get better prices for our farmers. Um, this requires uh, active collaboration from everyone. It requires us all to put our hands together um, and to solve the, the key issues and the challenges that we are facing in the sector. Technical manager of Cote d'Ivoire Ghana Cocoa Initiative, Teria Ajakun. Quarting. Now, as the world marks the Day of Sustainable Development Goal 12, Indicator 3, yesterday, players within the agricultural value chain are being urged to consider the existing gaps in the sector as investment opportunities. The day is marked as part of efforts to reduce food losses along the production and supply chains. According to a recent study sponsored by the Danish Embassy in Ghana, Ghana loses about 50% of its food to post-harvest losses. Dan Aqua is the executive director of Agri-Impact in ASNAP and he has been speaking to City Business News. Someone is celebrating for selling 30 to 40% of his produce, then you can imagine the kind of food loss and the post-harvest loss that we have. After the research, then we realize that if you take tomato, yam, mango, citrus, and chilies with the areas that we perform the analysis, the food loss was about $1.9 billion per annum. The, the commonest or the highest one was yam and we're surprised that the food loss of yam was over $560 million per annum. The post-service loss of yam alone, mango was over $300 million. And if you take tomatoes alone in greater Accra region, not the whole country, greater Accra region, post-service loss of tomato was estimated at over $60 million per annum. What we don't do well is how do we profile our challenges into investment opportunities because all these that I've said, I will not even call them as challenges. I call them as investment opportunities. Well, we keep talking about challenges. If someone should invest in coaching, what will be the return on your investment? So this is an investment opportunity. That was the executive director of Agri-Impact and ASNAP, 
Dan Aqua. Now, some freightforwarders in the country are expressing disappointment of our plans by government to introduce their self-clearing policy. Under this policy, importers can clear their goods from the ports without recourse to custom house agents. However, the freightforwarders are vehemently opposing it. They lament that the implementation of the policy will result in the direct loss of nearly 10,000 jobs. Some of the freightforwarders spoke to City Business News. It's about people going to lose their their professions, their jobs, their source of income. Because the moment that is implemented, then in reality, what is the use of the freight forwarder or the customs house agent? Invariably, they are losses are really I don't think it's less than 10,000 job loss. You're, you're looking at the various entry points. You're looking at the Tema Harbour. You're looking at the airport, that's Kutuka. You're looking at Takrade Harbour. You're looking at the various land borders. Aside the loss of jobs, that uh, will, will affect the, the, the business people or the people in the industry. It is likely the government will lose revenue. Madam, let me tell you something, please. It won't happen today or tomorrow. And they've done it long, long time. Not this government. Past government. Past, past government. But it will never happen. I can't say that the importers can clear their own goods. No, it will never happen. If they try this, they will see. You are not custom licenses agent. There's no way you can clear. And even if you clear, if there's something happening, you can tell everybody that you can go out there and clear your goods. Which system is, is the importer going to use to clear his goods? Is it not the same agent that is going to hire? Because you are not customs, customs a, a house agent. You don't have any business doing with customs, and you don't know the process and procedures. Those were some freight forwarders. Now, Dreamover, a fintech company in partnership with Star Assurance, has launched the Kauri Merchant Platform to meet the new demands of clients and customers. The new merchant platform, which promises to offer free insurance cover, Kristen Kauri Protect, is underwritten by Star Assurance. On the sidelines of a business networking soiree in Accra, the chief executive officer of Dreamover Limited, Claude Kwesi Hatchful, explained that the new platform seeks to transform the financial ecosystem and bring additional value to customers. Dream of All Limited is a licensed fintech by Bank of Ghana and we have outdoored our app Kari. Kari is an app that seeks to digitize access to financial services. Um, today we're partnering with Star Assurance to provide um, insurance products on our platform for consumers and businesses. Um, Kari enables businesses to process payments, so we can process payments with mobile money, card, and we give you one portal where you can view all your transactions that are coming through. Now, as part of our support to our businesses, we are offering them commercial insurance packages like uh, against flood, against fire, and so on and so forth when you become a, a customer of ours, right? So you just have to sign up with us so we process payments for you and that comes with free insurance coverage for your business this is very important to us because we believe that you know it's the small businesses that drive the economy and on our mobile app you can download on the app store and the play store it's kari k-o-w-r-i that was the chief executive officer of dream over limited claude Quisi. Hatchful. And that's it for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obodu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Blank.
Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. There's something special happening at Heritage Christian College. Their bustling campus is right in the heart of Amasaman, just behind the Olympic Stadium. And it will amaze you what they are doing there. Heritage Christian College is churning out academic excellence with their comprehensive range of degrees, including Bachelor of Business Administration programs, IT, and Theology. Don't forget to ask about their professional programs and short courses. What makes Heritage special? Heritage Christian College takes the academic experience further than ever with one laptop per student flexible fee payment entrepreneurial training with financial support all delivered by a caring faculty working to develop your character and your intellect admissions are in progress so call today on 054-777-731 and get accepted for more information go to hcuc.edu.gh heritage christian college a university educating compassionate entrepreneurial leaders let your voice be heard on eyewitness news on facebook at facebook.com forward slash city 97.3 twitter at twitter.com forward slash city 973 and instagram at instagram.com forward slash city 973 with the hashtag eyewitness news eyewitness news be there as it happens CTFM, this is Eyewitness News. Time now for Point Blank. And tonight we hear from a flag bearer hopeful of the Gavin Newt Patriotic Party and also former Minister for Food and Agriculture, Dr. Efri Akutu. He's been speaking, making some proposals on how he will leverage on agriculture to drive the economy should he become president we have excerpts for you listen there is the urgent need for things to be done differently if we are to succeed in transforming our agriculture the critical success factors in our transformation agenda will hinge on the following political wealth Ghana has to prioritize agricultural transformation at the highest level of government through the implementation of a well-defined vision 
and strategy. The investment needed to achieve sustainable food systems will be non-negotiable in my vision to transform agriculture for the prosperity of the The first Prime Minister of, of India, Jawaharlal once said, and I quote him, everything can wait, but not agriculture, unquote. Everything can wait, but not agriculture, unquote. Governance structure. In addition to the economic management team headed by the Vice President, there shall be a newly created agricultural management team chaired by the President himself to drive agricultural development. The AMT shall comprise seven agri-related ministries, namely food and agriculture, finance, trade and industry, lands and natural resources, local government and rural development, and environment, science, technology, and innovation. Supply chain logistics and market access. To improve supply chain logistics and expand market access, infrastructure projects such as feeder roads, hospitals, housing, rural electrification, irrigation and storage will be an integral part of the transformation agenda. Big data and technology for evidence will be the basis for decision making. Significant investment shall be made in big data and technology for precise evidence-based decision making in partnership with the private sector. Agricultural policy must be driven by evidence. It is essential that policymakers, farmers and actors in the value chain are trained to access the benefits of data for decision making. So we heard former Food and Agriculture Minister Dr. Owusu Efria Koto, who now wants to be president on the tickets of the governing New Patriotic Party. I want to now bring in a member of the communications team of the flag bearer hopeful. He is Augustine Jongte for us to have a discussion. Good evening to you, Mr. Jongte, and thank you for joining us on Point Blank on Eyewitness News. Hello, Mr. Jongte. Hello. Yeah. Can yeah, you hear me? And thanks for having me. Mm, very well. You are a member of the communication team of Dr. Owusu Efriye Akoto, and this afternoon he mounted the podium at the University of Professional Studies here in Accra, outlining a number of proposals should he become president and how he wants to use agriculture to drive the economy. And so let, let's begin from here, actually, because uh, isn't it surprising or even shocking that uh, your, your, the person you are following, that's Dr. Ousu Efriakutu, uh, jumped out of the current government to pursue his presidential ambitions. And at a time that we are having difficulties with the economy, he is now espousing all these ideas, how he wants to use agriculture, 
developing an agriculture management team using the tree crop development authority to take us out of our dependency on you know the international monetary funds and all that couldn't he have implemented all of these when he was part of the ecofado government okay um as a matter of fact most of the things or some of the things that we mentioned today are things that we initiated before exiting the three crops for instance that is asking us to diversify into there is an act to be before parliament the three cross board act okay so most of these things are already ongoing and this should not uh, deflect our attention from the good things that we have already done. We have shocked the number of achievements in the agri sector. Okay, and he also has his ambitions. We are in 2023. We're our farmers. Next year is a presidential year. So why do you think we should continue to hold on at, at the expense of, of his ambition? All what he could do as a minister, he has done it in the past six years. This is his seventh year. What at all will he do in the next one year that he hasn't already done? So he hasn't abandoned the government. He has paid his dues, but it is time to move on. And that is exactly what he has done. And you I, say I most of the things that he outlined that. today are already in process. They are in the pipeline. Yeah, well, some, some mm. he, has, he has initiated. If, if you listen, he talked about innovation. Were they his proposals? Pardon? Were they his proposals? The innovation? Yes, the things you are talking about that he's uh, uh, superintendent over them when he was in government. I'm asking if those things were his proposals. They are part of a broader government agenda. Mm. But he implemented, and along the line, as you implement, you bring your own in. That is why he's a minister. So this is the broader government agenda, which we go by. But there are other innovations that you introduce as a minister. For instance, there were some bilateral engagements with the government of uh, Brazil that uh, led to some support up to the tune of $100 million for the um, delivery of agricultural but so have we seen the results? Have we seen the results of all these things? If we have, I do not think we'll be mounting the podium trying to reiterate them and making them his proposals going into his presidential bid. And please take that again. I don't get I'm saying that he said he's outlined a number of issues when he was in government, which he has implemented as a minister, and you think the time is right for him to step back and then pursue the agenda as president of the country. I'm asking, if the results were glaring, he wouldn't have mounted a podium today to make these proposals again, as far as his presidential bid is concerned. Okay, first of all... So, for example... Uh, mm, so, for example... You make your point. Yes, I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to I'm saying that. I'm saying that. Are you able to share with us if the results of all that he did were glaring? He wouldn't have mounted a podium today to outline these as new proposals. Okay, I, I don't think uh, that is the case. Because if the results are glaring, 
Okay. Next year, MPC will be presenting a presidential candidate. Okay, to contest to be the president of Ghana. Are you saying that if we think that we have achieved, we shouldn't participate in the 2024 election? I, I don't think that that is the case. And if the results are also glaring, we, we cannot say that we have arrived. Okay, development is a continuum. So he has played his state as the minister of Agric. But now it goes on, and we are going to have a new president, God willing, by 2025. And I'm telling you that after having done all what he has already done in the Agric sector, he is now aspiring to be the leader of the party. And I, that has nothing to do with whether the results are glaring or not, even though I think they are glaring. If you listen, he outlined the achievement. First of all, so he situated Agric within the new emerging economic order. He mentioned four things. That moving into the future, the global economy, Ghana inclusive, is going to be driven by food, energy, water, and big data. So he picked on Agric as something that we can leverage on as a council. Mm. He went on to tell us what we have already achieved as a council and what we can still achieve going into the future, given the fact that food mm. is going to be part of the new emerging economic order. Rightly so. But in wrapping up, he's been minister for six years and a host now we saw what became known as the planting for food uh, markets following the shortage or scarcity of food items and the high prices in food, uh, you know, uh, food stuff. But uh, quickly uh, for you, you are going into a race that has uh, the former trade minister Alan Tremantin, also has former railways minister Joe Gatti, and also possibly uh, the vice president uh, Dr. Mahamudu Baumia, among other things. Uh, the question many are asking is that what really are the chances of Dr. Uusufri Akutu? Is it that you, you are just putting money down the drain looking at the caliber of persons who are contesting this race? Uh, I think I'm the campaign we are going to speak to issues. We we'll all put the facts out there. The, the, the contest is going to be about achievement. So all those you have mentioned, between the minister, the vice uh, president, Jugati, and the rest, they'll put their track record on the display. Their great minister will equally put his track record on the display. And I believe that if the selection process is going to be based on achievement, and competence in terms of very good chance. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Um, you were talking about uh, the planting for food and jobs, inflation, and then uh, all of that. Yes, the, the minister has done his part. If you take crops, greens, for instance, like maize, uh, before he took over, our production capacity was around 1.7 million metric tons. He doubled that. He did the same thing for, for rice. Okay, a number of irrigation uh, projects are going on now, 12 of them. Uh, we have um, greenhouse training facilities, three of them, that are highly functional at Dawinia, uh, Bojiasi, and then Akumada. There are so many things that are going on. So the man has achieved. And going into this race, I think we need to judge him by his, his records, not who is going into the race uh, with him. 
Very well. It's not the time to talk about other people's achievements, but at the right time, we'll put their records against each other, and you will see that his stands tall, he's towering among all who are contested. All right, thank you. That's Augustine Jonte. He is a member of the communications team of NPP flag bearer hopeful Dr. Ousu Efria Koto, who is former Minister for Food and Agriculture. And that's it for tonight's edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Neil Latte, Latte Production by Kobna Wilson and Beverly London. Technical support coming in from Daniel Squashi. Eyewitness News returns tomorrow at exactly 5.30 GMT. Have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City973. City97.3. Accra.